Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It's December 11th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, more Palestinians are starting to criticize Hamas on live TV. We saw that over the weekend. Plus, the Israelis are warning the White House this morning to start killing terrorists or they will do it for us. I've got those two Middle East updates for you and what they mean coming up. Second, developments from Central Africa this morning regarding terrorism and global energy supplies. And it's all good news for Russia. We'll talk about that, plus how this news could affect our third update of the morning, and that is about climate change. World leaders are calling on each other to triple their investment in nuclear energy, but that can't be done without Russia and a special supply of uranium from one of those African countries that we'll talk about. Fourth, a warning for diabetics and medical providers in America. Your supply of syringes probably come from China and they are defective. I'll tell you what we know. Later, listener questions today about anti-Semitism and violence in America's university systems. I'll explain what has happened over the past week to prompt this conversation and what I think is really going on. But first, let's get to our top stories of the morning. We begin in the Middle East with two notable updates for you. The first is this. More Palestinians are starting to vent their anger at Hamas, and they're doing it in public and on live TV. It's a trend that started last week, as we discussed on Friday, actually, with looting and anarchy spreading throughout the Gaza Strip and aid supplies dwindling. But part of the reason for the lack of food and water is Hamas. At least that's according to an increasing number of Palestinians. For example... On Friday night, a reporter with the Arab outlet Al Jazeera was interviewing a very sweet elderly woman about her lack of food and water. The reporter blamed Israel for that and their operations in the Gaza Strip, but she disagreed. She said, quote, all the aid goes underground, referring, of course, to the the, uh, Hamas tunnel networks, and it does not reach all the people, she said, but all the aid is meant for us. I am not afraid to say this. I am talking to Hamas. Well, the Arab reporter was taken aback by her comments and said to the camera, quote, a lot of aid is coming. It is being uh, distributed. And uh, this is what they say. To which the elderly woman shook her finger at him on live TV and said, quote, Hamas takes everything to their homes and they can take me, shoot me, do whatever they want to me, Hamas. I don't care. Well, the Arab reporter then immediately wrapped up the segment by saying, quote, it seems the situation is unclear, end quote. Meanwhile, in yet another segment, a young Palestinian mother said on live TV to a different Arab channel that she knows that the humanitarian aid is being delivered to the Gaza Strip, but that, quote, I swear to Allah that we get nothing, only if we chase Hamas and beg. They mock us when we ask. They humiliate us. They take advantage of us, end quote. She ended the interview, by the way, by declaring that, quote, may God take revenge on them. 
So that is update number one out of the Middle East this morning with more Palestinian people taking Hamas to task. Second, let's talk about a new warning that the White House is getting from Israel's leadership today. They need to start killing Islamic terrorists in the country of Yemen, or Israel says they will do it for them. Israeli and American press are both reporting this morning that over the weekend, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his government told the Biden White House that the terror threat posed by the Iranian-backed Houthis in Yemen is unacceptable. And if Biden continues to refuse to kill or degrade this Yemeni threat, the Israeli military and intelligence services will do it for him. This comes after my reports on Friday and much of last week where I shared with you that Iran and its terror partners like the Houthis are targeting not only the Israelis or their commercial ships in the Red Sea, but also U.S. military assets and personnel on things like the USS Kearney or the USS Mason. But as I shared with you, the Biden White House has so far refused to respond to these Houthi attacks, namely for two reasons. First, out of a fear of escalation. And second, that some Arab countries might view any U.S. strikes against the Houthis as being too pro-Israel. Now, to be fair, the White House says that they're starting to form a task force to figure out how best to respond. But as Pentagon spokesman Pat Ryder told reporters on Friday, he's unclear of how this new task force might be different from another older task force. Apparently, there's already one that's been talking about this Houthi threat and what to do. So those are the two latest facts and data out of the Middle East worth our time and attention this morning. Let me now pivot to my brief analysis and opinion. First, it may be that what destroys Hamas is not the Israeli government, but rather the desperation of civilians in the Gaza Strip who are hungry and they're watching the terror group eat like a bunch of kings or pigs while they starve. And that includes an 80-year-old woman and a young Palestinian mother who frankly have nothing else to lose. They are telling all on live TV broadcasts throughout the Middle East. And that is a powerful message to Arabs and Iranians and leftists, frankly, in both the Europe and the United States, who have incredibly convinced themselves that Hamas are actually the good guys. In other words, Hamas or its propagandists in these Arab TV networks can only hide bad or evil leadership for so long before it is so obvious and so indisputable that it can no longer be hidden. And that, I think, takes us to our second update of the morning, talking about the Israelis demanding that the White House take action, or they will. Right Over the past week, I've shared with you how the Pentagon and that CENTCOM are blasting the Biden White House for refusing to respond to the Iranian threat. Well, we can now add to the list of frustrated people in the world the Israeli government. And here's why this matters to you. In an ideal world, Israel would coordinate their strikes against the Houthis with the Pentagon, with the U.S., because that helps to protect our forces and our naval assets when the Iranians or the Houthis counterattack. But this schism, as we can call it, between the U.S. and Israel, where Netanyahu might attack when and where he wants, that creates the possibility that his initial strikes wouldn't be well-coordinated, and that will then leave our men and women in the Navy and the Marine Corps to face unnecessary risks with these Houthi or Iranian counterattacks. So let's see what the Israeli response looks like this week and throughout the next, and ultimately if this approach by the Israelis shames or otherwise pushes the White House into action. Because if the Biden administration doesn't budge, well... Godspeed to my friends on the USS Kearney and Mason in the Red Sea, as well as those folks stationed in Iraq and Syria, because unfortunately, the risk to those folks does go up. We're praying for y'all. With that, we turn to our second report of the morning. 
An African ally of the United States is drifting further away from us and closer to the Russians. And that'll have very important implications for both counterterrorism operations and nuclear energy. So here's what we know this morning, starting with the African ally. And for this one, you might want to pull out a map on your phone or computer or in your mind, because we are off to a very exotic nation this morning. It's the ancient country of Niger. It's located smack dab in the middle of north central part of Africa to the south of Libya. It's in the region that is known as the Sahel. We first spoke of Niger back on August 2nd, where I briefed you on a coup d'etat that threw out the Western friendly government that ruled there at the time. And it was replaced by a military government, a junta. And that was bad because you as taxpayers have spent over $100 million building a drone base there called Air Base 201. It's in a very beautiful old city called Agadez. And that base had one very important mission for the past few years, to kill Islamic radicals, namely those affiliated with the Islamic State or an offshoot of Al-Qaeda. But that mission was put at risk because the U.S. has laws against cooperating with coup leaders. And those military guys, they have not responded well to our response, pushing them further away from us in the White House and drawing closer to Russia. So that was the issue and news percolating last August, and that takes us to our latest news. One week ago, the military leaders of Niger announced that they would toss out two agreements they had actually had with the European Union. One provided Niger with military support by the Europeans, and the other was building civilian capacity, like their court systems or law enforcement. But no longer. Niger's foreign ministry told the Europeans to get out, that they no longer have diplomatic immunity. Meanwhile, we don't have final word on what Niger is going to do with this Air Base 201 or our presence in their country, but we can likely expect that we will probably be tossed out at some point, in part because the government of Niger has also announced that they are signing a new military deal with the Russians. So from now on, it'll be Moscow who helps provide their military support to take on the Islamic radicals. Although, because of the war in Ukraine, it may be that the Russian mercenary outfit called the Wagner Group might pick up much of the burden rather than the official Russian military. By the way, Wagner continues to operate pretty heavily in Africa, even after the death or assassination of their leader last summer. You may recall his name, Yevgeny Prigozhin. One final thing to tell you about, and this is pretty important. The Times of London is warning that Niger just repealed a law that will now make it perfectly legal to smuggle migrants. The military leadership announced on live national TV last week that the law would be repealed and that the trade of humans was free to flourish. Analysts predict that we should see a dramatic uptick in illegal migrants, certainly heading to Italy and France, but also to the United States. To the point, a local businessman said with great celebration that, quote, we are going to get back to work, end quote. So those are the latest facts and data out of Niger this morning. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion. So I think that this is a painful but good example of how small developments from countries all around the world can have quite big and dramatic impacts here at home. In this case, the events in Niger will likely lead to what I see to be three things that we should all have on our radars. First, we will probably see an increase of illegal African migrants on our southern border. They're going to be using this gateway in Niger to travel to other airports in the region. And eventually, they'll get to countries like Nicaragua, making their way to the north. I also believe or suspect that they will be assisted by the Russians. Listeners may recall that Moscow is already doing that by pushing migrants from the Middle East and Africa into places like Finland. 
Second, if Niger kicks us out of Air Base 201, that could have a very important impact on our war against radical Islam. It'll also be pretty frustrating to watch the Russians take over our $100 million base. But what I'm also concerned about is whether the Russians will be able to do the job, given their preoccupation with the war in Ukraine. I'm also a bit nervous about how this battle against the Islamic radicals in the Sahel might push these fighters further north into places like Libya or Egypt. And if so, that would further destabilize both those countries and the region. Finally, there's one other angle to this story that we need to talk about. Oddly enough, it involves climate change and uranium. But let's talk about that and Niger's connection to those issues right after the break. We'll be right back. Well, fall is officially here, and that means it's time for jackets and sweaters and blankets too. And I'm getting all of mine from American Giant. Yeah, they make clothes and other textiles right here in America. None of that Chinese stuff. Folks, American Giant has it all. Hoodies, polos, jeans, jackets, and yes, blankets. All made in America and all top quality products. And I'm telling you, the moment that you touch this stuff, the second that you put it on, you just know that these products are top shelf. I've got a jacket and a hoodie and they are amazing. And here's the best news from my perspective anyway. American Giant is not just some company making stuff. It's seamsters and cutters and factory workers, your neighbors in towns and cities all across this country who are reopening factories to make you products that you can be proud of. It's about purpose and people, ladies and gentlemen. So do what I've done. Join me in buying clothes from American Giant. And if you do, I'm going to save you a bunch of money. 20% off your first order. Holy cow. So here's how you do it. Go to American-Giant.com. Once you are there, you can choose from their many categories of awesome clothes and products. And when you check out, use promo code RIGHT. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And you're going to get that 20% off your first order. So what are you waiting for? Come on now. Let's fill up our wardrobes. Get your fall and winter clothes, ladies and gentlemen, right now at American-Giant.com. Just use that promo code RIGHT and get 20% off. So let's go to American-Giant.com and let's make America giant. Folks, if you are in the market for insurance policies, whether that be life insurance or home auto disability, well, I want to tell you about a company and a website that I have discovered. It's called PolicyGenius.com. These guys help you find the most affordable insurance that is out there with partners like Nationwide, Prudential, and Travelers Insurance, all great companies. Now, I recently used Policy Genius to look at life insurance policies because, well, you never know, and I want to be prepared. And with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million in coverage. In fact, some of their insurance options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. And that is certainly good news. But you know what I think is the great news? Policy Genius is a time saver. Their website and the underlying technology that it uses makes it very easy to compare different insurance policies of all kinds, including life insurance, with just a few clicks of your mouse. In other words, you get the lowest price with the least amount of effort. So here's my bottom line. Our loved ones deserve a financial safety net, and we can give them that with things like life insurance. And you and I deserve a smarter way to find it and buy it. So head to policygenius.com and get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. 
Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards a mix of domestic and international news. This week marks the end of the global climate change gathering called COP28. I shared with you back on November 30th of what to expect in terms of the headlines, but there was one thing that was a surprise. There was a big focus on nuclear energy, and here's why. More than 20 nations agreed that solar and wind power just ultimately won't cut it to intermittent. Instead, these nations argued that nuclear power could get us both reliable electricity and a future with fewer carbon emissions. The nations agreed to triple their nuclear capacity over the next 25 years, with a special focus on building something called the Small Nuclear Reactors, or SMRs. I briefed you on that technology all the way back on May 5th, but as a refresh, there is a lot of promise in this young industry. These reactors or SMRs are smaller, safer, more scalable, and potentially much, much cheaper than traditional nuclear plants to build. You may recall that there are dozens of different designs for this new SMR technology. Indeed, U.S. billionaire Bill Gates, he's got a model of his own working on it in Wyoming. But it is a very young field at present, and it's pretty unsettled. To the point, an SMR that was scheduled to go online in Utah just got shut down because of cost overruns. But there is another problem for nuclear power in general and these SMRs in particular. And it's all related to our last brief that I just gave you before the break involving Niger and Russia. So here's the problem, starting with something that you might not know. The country of Niger provides about 20% of the uranium that goes to France and their nuclear power plants. Meanwhile, the world's largest producer of uranium is in Kazakhstan, and that's a former Soviet satellite country in Central Asia that very much relies on Russia for its trade and its broader economy. In other words, Moscow has them by the throat. Now, it's true that there are other producers of uranium. In fact, there's an old uranium mine near the Grand Canyon that might get a reboot, actually, because of high uranium prices lately. But even if that comes to pass, Russia, Kazakhstan, and these friends in Niger, they will collectively control global uranium production and pricing for years to come. So that's the latest news from COP28 regarding the very sudden push for nuclear energy. But this problem of who controls the necessary uranium production and pricing. Let me now pivot to my quick analysis and opinion. So stepping back for a moment, let's think about the big picture, the big trend that we are seeing in the world of energy. And here's what I see. China, Russia, and the Middle East are joining forces to control the world's energy. For instance, we know that China dominates the so-called green energy economy. I covered that during my Dirty Green series starting back on August 14th. Second, we know that Russia and its friends in Kazakhstan and now Niger, they control much of the nuclear industry and the mining and the refining of uranium. Finally, of course, there's the Middle East. They control much of the world's oil and natural gas supply. We all definitely know that. But not all of it. The U.S. has its own oil and natural gas to power our own economy. But we're shutting it all down because of climate change or activism related to it. In other words, we're handing over our future our power, quite literally, to foreign entities that don't like us much. And that just seems egregious, doesn't it? Nonsensical? Pick whatever word you want. It makes you wonder, why is that being done? Maybe it's on purpose for some reason. But nevertheless, let's keep our eyes this morning on Niger. Because while it is so very far away from us, events there will change the future of this country in ways big and small. 
and that could certainly include nuclear energy, it's true, but also through this new wave of illegal migrants being shipped to our southern border. More to come. With that, we wrap up this morning with a quick piece of important news for medical providers and especially folks who are diabetic. The FDA has announced that America's supply of syringes is at risk, namely those that are made in China. A company there recently switched their design and they screwed up. Their new manufacturing process led to syringes that leak, they break, and perhaps most critically, they don't deliver the correct dose of a medication. It's unclear this morning of how many syringes are affected, but the FDA is telling hospitals and doctors, diabetics, to look at their syringes and see if they are made in China. And if so, throw them away. Well, no analysis or opinion to give you on this one. Just a warning, my friends, especially for diabetics, including those in my family. And the message is very simple. Our reliance on China is putting you at risk again. So please check those labels and toss the stuff that is frankly made by our enemies in Beijing. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is a series of listener questions all about one topic sent to me from a number of paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. And it all has to do with America's universities facing allegations this morning of turning into a cesspool of bigotry and violence. So here's the background. Last week, the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania testified on Capitol Hill about anti-Semitism on their campuses. Congress wanted to understand why that is happening, because we've seen a lot of it, sometimes violent. So they invited the three women who lead those universities and asked them this question. If a student or a professor called for the genocide of the Jewish people, would that violate their school's code of conduct, namely against bullying or harassment? Now, the expected answer was yes, in no small part because calling for the genocide of, say, trans people or gay people, that certainly got a lot of people in trouble over the past couple of years at these universities. So Jewish people should get the same protection, presumably, right? Well, the women of these three universities said, maybe, sometimes, depends on the context. In other words, they couldn't simply say yes or no, that Jewish people on campus would be protected. Well, the reaction to that over the past five days or so has been absolutely ferocious. The ladies and their universities have faced tremendous backlash with alumni and donors announcing that they were going to withdraw hundreds of millions of dollars in money is just one example. Others are demanding that these women step down and ultimately that their cultures of these various schools, they fundamentally have to change. Well, so far, all the backlash that has led to one of the women, Liz McGill of Penn University, she has agreed to step down. The other two, however, as of this moment, have escaped her fate. Although that might not be for long. One of the House Republicans who led the original questioning last week tweeted out a statement, quote, one down, two to go, end quote. Meanwhile, the House Education Committee is planning to launch a new formal inquiry into this matter and issue a whole bunch of subpoenas. They may also add other schools to quiz them on Capitol Hill regarding their anti-Semitic campuses. So that is where things stand, at least as of this morning. In other words, we've got a new culture war ignited by international events in Israel that has frankly exposed the, the violent and bigoted underbelly of the American university system. And so a lot of folks wrote in asking, what should we make of this? So let's start with this. 
On Saturday, the media outlet Axios published a a set of data on protests in this country related to the war in Israel. They looked at the number of protests, uh, which side they're on, and where in the country they're occurring. And here's the upshot. American campuses with mostly leftist students and professors are leading a pretty sustained set of protests, either against Israel or in support of Hamas or the Palestinians. We also got another interesting set of data over the weekend from an organization called the Nonviolent Action Lab, and they showed that there are two groups largely leading these protests in the United States. The first are Muslim or Arab organizations, which we would probably naturally expect. But the second, it's interesting. They include socialists, Antifa, black nationalists, feminists, and so-called queer groups. Hmm, well, Why? Why would America's radical left be organizing anti-Jewish or pro-Hamas activities? Well, here is what I see, and indeed what the scholarship of these groups would tell you. According to these leftists, the world is made of oppressors and the oppressed. In other words, the oppressors are people like the capitalists, white people, the Jews, patriarchy, the straight folks, sort of the big five of oppressors. Meanwhile, everybody else is the oppressed, It's the socialists, the people of darker colors, the women, the queer people, right? They are the victims, a big tribe that deserves to have power. And that necessarily requires a power struggle and conflict. And if that conflict means genocide against the oppressors, like the Jews in this case, well, then these leftist groups say that is both expected and frankly necessary. Now, if that just seems crazy to you, well, two things. First of all, yes, it is crazy, but I promise you the scholarship is there. Second, do me a favor, because I think this will help you understand how real this is. Explore something called the extinctionist movement. This is a group of radical leftists that argue that the oppressors are actually humans, all of humankind, and the planet is the oppressed. And so they argue that that all of humankind must die out because they are the oppressors. Well, this extinctionist movement makes up a shocking number of people in the environmental community and helps explain, I think, some of their more radical policies around energy. So if I could say this a little bit differently, these leftist groups are really death cults, right? Whether they want to kill all the Jews or white people or humankind, it's about death and power. Now, I know you might be tempted to roll your eyes and just laugh this off, but unfortunately, it's not funny. These people are very serious. They are very organized and they have become very powerful. So powerful, actually, that three university presidents sat in front of Congress last week and couldn't quite bring themselves to say that exterminating all Jews might be bad and that it's against their code of conduct to do so. And so that is why I take this group of death cults, well, very seriously. And it's why I think it is so important, frankly, to organize a counter movement, to stand up, call them out, mock and shame them and ultimately find ways to remove them from polite society. Because if we give these folks an inch as we have, they will take a mile. And they have. Indeed, they have taken over America's university system. And if you ask me, it is horrific to watch. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, We conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, 
and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Oh, oh, oh,